I'd like to welcome all of you to Sunday service at Ananda Village. I am Naya Swami Parvati, and this is Naya Swami, Swami Pranaba, and we're very happy to have you with us today. It's a great blessing. I'll read from the reading this week from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, Living in the Presence of God. Oh, and I'm sorry, I'd like to welcome all of you, all of our guests and visitors, everyone that's here today. Forgot to mention that. (laughs) We're very happy to have you with us. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, we read of a king, capitalized, for the reference is to God who welcomes certain devotees to the divine consciousness, saying, I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. The elect asked him, when it was they had served him in these ways. And the king answered, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. To see God as residing in every human being, as indeed he does, is to open oneself to limitless opportunities for serving him. Paramhansa Yogananda, in Autobiography of a Yogi, described a saint who lived in this consciousness as the greatest man of humility I ever knew. He described a seemingly chance encounter with this saint. Another day found me walking alone near the Howrah railway station. I stood for a moment by a temple silently criticizing a small group of men with drum and cymbals who were violently reciting a chant. How undevotionally they used the Lord's divine name in mechanical repetition, I reflected. My gaze was astonished by the rapid approach of Master Mahashaya. Sir, how come you here? The saint, ignoring my question, answered my thought. Isn't it true, little sir, that the beloved's name sounds sweet from all lips, ignorant and wise? He passed his arm around me affectionately. I found myself carried on his magic carpet to the merciful presence. If you would see God, watch for him everywhere. If you would hear his voice, listen for it in all sounds and also in their supporting silences. If you would know God, seek his wisdom behind merely human knowledge. The Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter states, One who beholds my presence everywhere, and all things dwelling equally in me, he never loses sight of me, nor I of him through all eternity. Thus, through Holy Scripture, 
God has spoken to mankind. from Whispers of Eternity from Paramahansa Yogananda. It's a little bit longer one, and I invite you to be in the flow of these words and be in your own center listening to them. Divine Mother, I heard thy voice in the speaking fragrance of the rose. I heard thy voice in the lisping whispers of my devotion. I heard thy voice beneath the din of my noisiest thoughts. It was thy love which broke through the voice of friendship. I touched thy tenderness in the softness of the lily. O Divine Mother, break through the dawn and show thy face of light. Break through the sun and show thy face of power. Break through the night and show thy mooned face. Break through my thoughts and show thy face of wisdom. Break through my feelings and show thy face of love. Break through my pride, and show thy face of humbleness. Break through my wisdom, and show thy face of perfection. As I call to thee in the wilderness of my loneliness, thou didst burst through the dawn to greet me with thy joy. Thou didst emerge from the molten door of the sun to invigorate me through the pores of my life. Thou didst tear away the night of my ignorance to reveal thy silver rays of speaking silence. Very poignant. So I'm not sure if our aura is different, but there's nobody in the front row here. (laughs) Haven't attracted anybody. So, you all know, I think, the law of Newton, Newton's law of physics, which probably was discussed a few weeks ago when we had the Sunday services, thank you for moving up, (laughs) Um, on karma and reincarnation. And as you know, it's stated that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And then I saw someone that applied it to the internet. And it's a little (laughs) bit different. Uh, For every action, there's an unequal and opposite overreaction. But that is the pull of duality. You want me to move this one? <laughs> Could you come back, Barbara? <laughs> Can't tell what the hand signs are. We're not going to do that. I thought he was saying, that's it, service is over. <laughs> that's enough. Um, unfortunately for you, it will continue. But it, that kind of idea that that new law of Newton applies to the internet is sort of a summary of what happens with the pull of duality, of maya, of delusion, that it pulls us into what seems to be real. Now, we know from the original statement of Newton's law that everything comes to zero. There is no shift of energy. But there is the other reality that at times 
the energy and magnetism can be powerful enough where it dislodges that balance for at least some time, and maybe for some people, or maybe for many people, that that's what life is. It's imbalanced in that way. And so it's easy to feel that that's real. This is real what's going on in the world. This is obviously what's you know, needing to be dealt with, and we need to do this and that. And it's just how we deal with it is the question, not if we deal with it. And so this, this chapter from Rays of the One Light, the idea of living in the presence of God, is the real solution on all levels of what's going on in life. All levels. Even the most mundane. But how do we really find that in our own lives? What are some signs? What are some ways of understanding this? Well, there are things we know, but I'm just going to refresh them for you. It's a good time in this season of coming into Christmas to, to really deepen, connect more, and let them sink in more. But living in the presence of God comes from where we're having a more expansive consciousness. We're able to see past the little things of life not to ignore them so much as to come to their origin, to come to their essence of what's going on. And this is done both inwardly and socially. And that's important for us to acknowledge that. That inwardly, we can do it by refining the approach we have to tuning into the divine. Refining the approach we have to attuning to the divine. Meaning each one of us, until we become jivan mukas, have that potential of refinement in our practice. So yesterday, we had uh, the eight-hour Christmas meditation up at the meditation retreat that Anant- Swami's Anant and Maria led. And hopefully there were some people there. Um, but also at the same time, for you people that are on the internet, the virtual community, you had your own version of an eight-hour meditation led by Jitendra and Devalila. And I thought, isn't that amazing, though, to have that now in our time? And we have another one coming up on December 23rd with Jyotish and Devi. And again, really feel, even if you attended yesterday in one form or the other, um, come on the 23rd as well uh, to really feel uh, that deeper experience. But I was thinking it's not enough just to come to the eight-hour meditations, is it? I mean, it's like saying, Master said, there are many mice on the property of Mount Washington, but they're not necessarily finding self-realization. <laughs> Showing up for a meditation is a real huge step of momentum. But we want to refine what we're doing because it's such an amazing opportunity to really be in the experience rather than trying to get the experience. Interesting, isn't that? A subtle point. But when we do these things from that perspective of that I'm in the experience, I'm at the center of the experience, then we already have a deeper touch of the divine. We're already living more consciously in that presence of God. And so, find in your own way how that happens. Not just for the eight-hour meditation, um, but for the two-minute meditation, the five-minute meditation, the 30-minute meditation, so on. What is it that's really going on? The one thing that we can do to refine this 
is to come from the perspective of offering ourselves. When we're there offering, it's like we're giving the gift to the divine that the divine has already given to us. We're nurturing that, that sense of a deeper relationship. It is in that offering that we have the refinement already. Now the offering has to come on refined and more refined and more refined levels to bring us to the absolute of oneness in God. And what does that mean to refine our offering? It means that more and more we let go of the expectation that something should happen. Other than we're offering our love and devotion to God. That is sufficient, as Master said. Let the rest be in God's hands. That's not our concern. Whether we have a vision, whether we go breathless, whether we can walk on water. I mean, in Canada, we were used to that because when, <laughs> in the wintertime, we could walk on the water. <laughs> so it wasn't a big miracle. Um, but that doesn't concern us, those things. What happens is we're tuning in more. When I learned to meditate, I was 18. And shortly after learning to meditate, uh, one of the books, spiritual books, the first books that I read was a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. And one of the things that really caught me, it was like an intriguing idea, was the Sanskrit term, tatvam ashi, tatvam ashi. And it means, thou art that. And that means infinite consciousness. Now, you can relate to thou art that from two ways. And this is kind of a way to wrap this together as a whole. That it relates to that the divine, obviously, is that infinite bliss. Thou art that. But it also means you and I are that. That thou art that. It's the divine saying back to us, you are that infinite consciousness. You are that infinite bliss in that experience. And I remember at that time, I, when I went to university, I was a DJ at our FM university station. I was really into rock and roll. Um, but anyways, the Beach Boys had a song called Thou Art That, because they were into meditation. Actually, Gyande and Diksha took one of the Beach Boys on their Kerala trip um, one time. But... But they were into meditation, so they, they wrote songs that were in that way. And Thou Art That, I Am That, was one of their songs. It wasn't a very good song, by the way. <laughs> but the idea was good behind it. But another song at, the, at that same time that I remember was popular from the Beach Boys was a song called God Only Knows. Now the title has really to do, it's a romantic song. God Only Knows What I Do Without You. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a love song in that way. But because I was tuning into this other side of what they were tuning into, meditation, whenever I heard that song, I would hear it as a song to God. God only knows, but it's also a song back to God. Only God knows who, what my life is in this way. So I kind of would play the Beach Boys songs frequently on my FM station. So. <laughs> I'm not sure it got anywhere for people, but, but it was one of those things that made me realize this thing, that God is everywhere, 
And we need to refine again what that experience is. So behind those thoughts of anybody is the experience that we can come to ourselves. And so refining that in the inner life that we have is important. But refining that in the outer life too. Making the choices along the way that refine our experience. How do we engage with people? Do we bring kindness into our thoughts about people? When we bring kindness into being in a situation. That kindness, as Yogananda said, also starts to stimulate the kundalini energy in our astral spine. Well, that's the way to the divine. If we can find this connection, this integration of the inner life with the way that we are in our social way of living, not only with other devotees, but how do we become more of a shining instrument to bring light into the world? It doesn't necessarily mean we even have to say those words or engage in conversation, although that will be pretty normal. But, you know, I remember when we had the Ananda House in San Francisco back in the 1980s and helping to direct it, and our, our finances were not doing that well. So a number of us went out and got jobs, and I worked across in Oakland at Jack London Square for this startup computer company. Now, there weren't that many startup computer companies back in 1983. Um, and I had no idea what a computer functioned as. Um, but I was just helping them in various ways. And some of the pe- couple of the people were devotees uh, that had lived in the Ananda house. But I had to take this uh, arduous journey from San Francisco, where the house was, over to Oakland. And it meant taking the Bay Area Regional Transit, the BART underground thing. And it meant taking some of the, the trolley cars in San Francisco. It was a long journey. And I remember the first time I got on this thing, I thought, wow, all these people. And it just felt like sardines squished together. And I thought, no, here's a choice. Here's a time when I can choose to be in this frustration mode or just be in a daydreaming mode, or I can meditate. So I would just do Hong Sa. I'd close my eyes, because half the people were sleeping, of course, with their eyes closed. So it wasn't unusual for me to close my eyes. So I, I just would do Hong Sa. And what I found is that it elevated that presence of the divine, even in the unusual behaviors that would come across. I remember one time having to teach a class. We had our center quite a distance away from Ananda House. The center was out in the avenues to, near Golden Gate Park. And one time I had to take the bus, and it was the 22 Fillmore bus. And the 22 Fillmore bus went through some very interesting parts of the city. And so I was coming back, and it was late at night after teaching a meditation class. And I got on, there was a handful of people. And then these uh, three guys got on, and they had a big boombox. It was, remember, back in the early 80s, and people had boomboxes. And they had it on. The bus driver said, hey, let's cool it, turn it off. But they were kind of rough. And then I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then the next stop, this man this woman got on, and they look rougher. They look even more tough. And I thought, I'm just going to meditate. I'm just, <laughs> just going to meditate. And then, to my surprise, 
um, you know, after another five, ten minutes. The three guys that came on with the boombox start to do some things and start to tear apart things. The man and the woman flashed out their badges and handcuffed them. They were the police. And I was thinking, they were rougher and tougher looking than the three guys. So you never know. So whatever, I took it, now it may not be true at all, but I took it that my meditation at least created an environment where something would change. <laughs> I'm not sure it was peaceful, but it was peaceful when they all left. <laughs> but, I, but it's just that way, you know, we can see in a light way that we have many opportunities. And the other thing we can do is we can expand the sense of joy in our lives. We can do that with God's presence. We don't have to wait for God to give us joy. We're inherently, innately made with joy. And the more that we can really bring that out into the world by being joyful, by being conscious about being a radiant beam of joy for the world around us, it's very, very real for people. They can feel that, even if they resist it. You know, you look at everything from politics to, you know, every other part of life, business, whatever it might be, and there's always stress. There's always going to be those challenges for people. But if we can just be, again, a source of our own inner light and joy, then we can be instruments for that. It isn't as if we need to do something formal or create some situation for people. That may indeed be something that happens at times. But all we need to be concerned with, how do I touch the environment I'm in with God's presence without them even knowing that God is a part of the formula? Just beaming with that energy in that way. And the same with calmness. If we can be expansive in our calmness, in that divine presence as calmness, it's a very, very just rich resource right now that we can offer the world. That if we can gauge rather than in a reactive process, again, whatever the temptation is to engage in just really reacting to something, if we can just pause, if we can just nurture the sense of what is this really doing at this time? What is this situation, these people? What's, what's really going on here? Is it that important for me to counter this with a reactive energy. What well, rarely turns out for the good, it always just feeds the flames if you react in that way. But that doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and be uh, not involved. But the involvement comes from just creating, again, a calmness that will saturate the world around us. That calmness is powerful. I mean, you know it. You do from your own experience in meditation. You know what that is. And all we need to do is, as, as Patanjali writes in the sutras, Shmiti, the memory of that. Remember that calmness. Let that be the initiating effect in responding to things that happen in the world. You may have to act dynamically with a lot of energy, a lot of will. But if it comes from that deeper calmness, then you're not separating yourself from the presence of God. You're bringing God even into tense situations. You're allowing that nurturing involvement to always come from your source in God in that way. And then also to expand our compassion. And of this, this is of course what the reading from the Bible is, 
encouraging us with and making us understand that we not only just have our own spiritual life, but we, we nurture that, that compassion for those around us that are suffering. I know when I first came to Ananda in 1978, I went back to Canada where I could walk on water. And one of the things that really empowered my sadhana more than meditation, but I was very consistent with meditation, but the thing that perhaps empowered me even more than meditation was doing healing prayers. You know, I spent an hour every Saturday afternoon offering healing prayers after a three-hour meditation. But that, that time in opening up as an instrument of compassion which is really, in a sense, one way of looking at healing prayers, that we're nurturing that possibility of blessing coming through us. Remember what Yogananda said, the instrument is blessed by that which flows through it. And so I felt that much more, that I was receiving much more of a boon um, than even the people I was praying for. But it nurtured something that was just very real for me, that I could really take day to day and open that up. To, to others. And I, I, I find now that I try to have time during each day to visualize, if I know the person, probably two to three hundred people at a time. It takes me quite a while. But I found that, for me personally, it's a way I nurture my own openness of compassion. But it's a lot of people. But you can just do it for one or two or three people. You know, you get three names on your healing prayer list. That's plenty. But, but again, just find a way to refine what that is for you. I found my way of refining that in one way. But each of us can find that as well. Because it is in that care, without the emotional attachment, that compassion enlivens the world around us to also be more in the presence of God. It's real. Because as we live it, that effect will be there on the world around us. And so take the time to see that God is in everything. And that we, we find the way personally for these ways to come to a deeper, more refined way. <coughs> but explore it. Explore it. Take on the, the joy of the experiment. And find the little ways and the grand ways that you in your life can nurture more of this presence of God as you offer into that as you nurture that and offer yourself more into the divine you already are victorious let's pause for a meditation moment <coughs> 